welcome mamas. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mum Podcast. Today I have with me Carmen from Sick Click. Welcome Carmen. Hello, thank you. How's your day going so far? Pretty good. I feel like seeing it's still pretty early. I've been relatively productive already, so that's a good thing. Oh, winning, winning, winning. <laughs> and so Carmen, how would you best describe yourself? So I think I have two very strong sides of my personality. I think when it comes to work, I have this really kind of driven and, you know, very stubborn and kind of conscientious side of me. But then um, from a family and friends perspective, I would kind of describe my life as a little bit chaotic and I'm like the biggest softie and very different to, to how I am in work. So kind of both of those things definitely apply to me. Yeah, you've got the different personalities. So you talk about your career and what's been your career pathway to bring you to where you are now? Yeah, so it's probably been a bit of an unusual path. So when I um, did my undergraduate degree, I'm actually a um, registered physiotherapist. And after doing physiotherapy, I worked clinically for a couple of years and just kind of um, realised that that kind of analytical way of thinking was probably uh, not best suited to me. I'd probably think a little bit more creatively than what you can imagine a physiotherapist needs to be able to do to be really good at their job. Um, And so I then kind of went into insurance and I've worked in insurance for nearly 10 years now in a number of roles, account management and operational roles. And um, just before I had my my daughter, my my first child, I started my MBA. And I then kind of went on maternity leave. And as part of um, all of that, I started my business, which I co-founded with my two sisters, um, which is Cyclic. So my two sisters and I really found that um, we were trying to be, you know, working parents and childcare arrangements that we had available to us weren't really enough to kind of juggle this kind of part-time work and full-time parenting and um, as a result of that, we thought there must be a better way to do it. And that's why we started Cyclic. And so now my main focus is um, the business. Oh, how exciting. And it's amazing that you've had such a career that going from physio to insurance, that's that's quite a big jump. Yeah, it's kind of like, it, it kind of makes sense in terms of the, the like we're working workers' compensation and life insurance. So it, it kind of makes sense in terms of, people still being injured being injured, and then recovery, but definitely kind of different skill sets, different lens than what you would really imagine when you first think of kind of what a physiotherapist is. So, yeah, a very weird path to how I, you know, now being working in a startup, founder of a startup, yeah, saying it out loud, it's all a bit odd, isn't it? <laughs> but, hey, look, we've all got a different journey, so I think that also adds more perspectives to be able to then give back um, and then in the startup community you're really understanding different industries as well from health workers to the corporate which we know health workers in this day and age do struggle with um, childcare arrangements so if we then go into the childcare options what So for parents out there that are listening, childcare, family daycare, there's so many different options out there. Are you able to give an overview about what people can look for uh, and what the options are? Yeah, so I guess um, 
to start with, like if you, you're thinking when you're first going in to say, okay, I'm you know, going to go back to work or I need some extra support, what have I got available to me? In Australia, the regulated childcare industry is massive and we've kind of seen that with COVID-19 and that's, that's a huge industry and a, a huge kind of um, network of support for parents. There's also family daycare, which kind of sits within that as well. So um, often kind of smaller within someone's home. Babysitters and nannies, um, which is the space that we work in as well. And then obviously the huge kind of unpaid industry is often grandparents and family support that do a massive amount of childcare work, most often unpaid in Australia. I can attest to that. I <laughs> actually, to, as we're recording this, today's the first day that my uh, the grandparents are actually looking after my son again. So we do two days a week of childcare, one day a week of grandparents, and I the grandparents were hanging out for that. And uh, yeah, it's definitely the unpaid free labour, but there is a lot of love that's brought with that. Yes, it's so. I mean, so good if you've got that option. I don't. We don't have that option available to us here, but um, my one of my sisters has that um, the free childcare arrangement working very nicely for her. And I always think, oh, so good if we could have just a little bit of a combination of that. Yeah, no, yeah. it's certainly good. And so, what are some of those differences between those childcare options, and how can you know what is going to suit you? Because obviously, I know I've heard different scenarios between family daycare versus childcare versus babysitters and nannies. How can you go through that minefield and go, yep, this is what's best for my child and my situation? I think the reality is, and certainly our experience and my own and my two sisters' experience, and a lot of you know friends that have done a lot of research for this and spoke, obviously spoken to a lot of parents, what a lot of people are finding these days is that one option is often not enough or it's you know, there is no one best option. There's probably multiple kind of options that you might need to consider and work with. So I think to help with that, you know, when you're starting to think about going to work, going back to work and looking at all the options, I think the first thing you need to probably do is sit down and think, okay, well, what are the what are the hours of care that I need covered? Um, what would an average week look like for me? And then what about if other things are coming up? Like what other things can I have in my back pocket to be able to access care when I need to? So if you have, um, and often this is, this is kind of what happened to us, that we you know, theoretically work Wednesday to Friday or something like that, but then there's a really important team meeting that we need to be at on a Monday. And so if you only have you know, potentially daycare as your regular hours of care and you don't have another option, then that can become really stressful. So I think just initially taking that step back and being and considering, you know, what are the what are the situations that you're going to need care for, and having options in various scenarios um, available to you that you feel really comfortable with, actually makes that um, process much easier when you kind of get into the the thick of things and you know, life becomes a lot more busier and a lot more stressful when you're starting back in work. So, yeah, I think actually considering not just, you know, this is the best, but maybe this is kind of my main option and then what are my backups? That's a really good way of thinking about it holistically and mm. not just about necessarily your work hours, but also even probably having some time with your partner on a weekend and mm. other options about really that scenario planning, like you would generally do at work at times, uh, but yeah. also bringing that into your family life. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny because traditionally if workplaces actually, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm, I sound maybe cynical, but certainly myself, my friends, my family, my husband, we, we don't have a nine to five working day and often things happen outside of those hours or, you know, maybe you're working nine to six and daycare closes at 6.30 and you're kind of, you know, stuck in traffic and this mad rush. So it's kind of trying to avoid those stressful situations and, and having a bit of a plan of, okay, well, what else do I have available to me? Um, because we know it's not, it's not as easy as just, you know, school hours or just like normal nine to five hours anymore. Maybe it was like that. I don't know. I, I don't know. In my I, working life, it has felt like that. Yeah. I also think about the, the shift workers, like the police, mm-hmm. the, the hospital, the health workers that, they don't have a nine to five job. If I think about mum's nutrition, she works in the middle of the night. Like yeah. how can you Absolutely. need care options um, that are yeah. outside that traditional norm for flexible work is what we all talk about now in the, yeah. in the world post COVID. Yeah, exactly. And especially, you know, even like the gig economy, like things that are, you know, a lot of people now don't have definite days that they're, they're working. It kind of changes all the time. So I mean, I think, you know, despite what we're doing around babysitters and, and nannies and helping connect people um, in that industry, I think overall the childcare industry is going to need to shift to be able to better support parents that don't have um, work hours that are necessarily the traditional Monday to Friday, nine to five, because the reality is not everyone works in that way anymore and that's not necessarily a bad thing it's just that we haven't really caught up with the way that people's work lives are now really different to how they previously were yeah I think the eight-hour workday was invented a hundred years ago by Henry Ford and you think about then that was to get people to work the 40-hour week so they're not working seven days a week and you're thinking the way that they were a hundred years ago there seems to be a bit of a a thing like the Spanish flu a hundred years ago, the work eight hour workday a hundred years ago. And the way that we work now is, mm. is different. Um, totally and, different. And definitely the arrangements of our, of our children, it's having as well more of that work-like integration between the family and that, because, you know, us women do want still a career and it's also about the, that care arrangement because generally that falls, that mental load falls onto the mother. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely so when looking at some of those care options, what are some good questions to ask to, for carers that are coming up? So if it's a babysitter or a childcare or family daycare, how do you know a good one from a not so good one? And what are some of those questions that people can ask along that journey? We first started this, like this, when we, before we even started the business, I was literally going out and trying to find a babysitter for my, my daughter when I had, I was doing my MBA and, you know, working on business and I just needed a little bit of extra help and I found myself sitting across from multiple babysitters and even when I first started looking at daycare centres and for some reason I like felt this need to be you know really polite and I didn't want to be intrusive and I didn't want to you know ask questions and then I like took a step back and I really thought I have to put my like manager corporate manager hat on here you know, when you go into an interview and you're hiring someone, you know, that is working in your team, you have a whole kind of suite of questions that you're asking them. You're often asking them behavioural questions and asking them to give examples of um, when they've done things that you need them to do in a workplace setting. 
And I would really say to take the same approach. Like we're asking people to do the most important job in the world, yet for some reason we kind of feel a little bit reluctant to ask them some more difficult questions. So I think, I think first of all, you've got to have a list of what I consider as kind of hygiene factors or like non-negotiable things, right? So if you know that before you want to hire someone or some, you know, send, want to um, send a charge to the daycare centre, you're looking for people with a working with children check, everyone, you know, needs to have a first aid certificate, they need maybe you want them to have a specific qualification. If it's a childcare centre, you might, you know, in your mind need them to have a certain level on the national quality standards ratings. And before you even get to an interview, that kind of information, it's, it's almost just like data for us, it's data analytics. So you, you know those things. And if they don't meet all of those things, they're off the list before you even get to an interview stage. So don't even bother interviewing them if they're not meeting that set criteria. And then I think when you... Um, when you're actually sitting down with someone or, you know, going into the centre, then asking those really specific questions. You know, so we, you know, we interview all our um, babysitters and we ask them really specific questions based on the ages of children that they have experience with and they are kind of those behavioural questions. So we might ask them, you know, what, what would you do if you were changing a baby's nappy and they were being, you know, really wiggly and wouldn't, wouldn't sit still? Can you give us an example of when that's happened and what strategies would you, would you use? Or, you know, if your child gets separation anxiety, you know, can you give us an example of when you've worked with a child that's had separation anxiety and what do you do in that situation? So being really specific about the things that are important to you and, Ask, yeah, asking them in a way that that's how I kind of think of it. How would I ask someone if I was in a corporate setting, would I be able to find out if they had the skills to be able to do the job that I need them to do? And it's exactly the same with hiring someone um, that's looking after, after our kids. And the other big thing, which I think applies for you know, care in your home and in a daycare centre, and I found this out maybe the hard way with my daughter, but asking around, you know, what do people do to look after themselves? Or what does the daycare centre do to look after their staff? So, you know, we know how tricky it is to look after our own kids and we love them. So if we're looking after our own kids for 12 hours a day, you know, they can be terrors. Like that can be really, really <laughs> yes, hard. <they> <laughs> So, you know, and we, you know, we probably have our own strategies of how we kind of reset ourselves and um, make sure we don't lose it. So how, you know, how do other people do that? Or how does the childcare centre support their staff? Because they're working in, you know, it, it can be a really stressful situation. So how do they look after themselves or how do they look after their staff to make sure if they're, you know, having a stressful day that they're still able to do the job at the level that they need to that's great advice and, and certainly good perspectives on it. Uh, I did a similar thing. I remember looking at um, going in for the first time to for the, the centre tour and I remember getting to the door going, I'm so unprepared. I don't know what to ask them. And, yeah, my work hat came on of, okay, I'm just going to pretend that I'm interviewing them like a, a future staff member or a future employee. Yeah. And I also got down to how do you compare to your competitors? Like I was good, thinking... Aren't you? I was thinking, I need questions here because I can't just say, yeah, this is nice. I'm thinking, what else am I going to ask? But you're right. My work hat slipped on. Okay. What are your communication tactics? And 
you need to though but I, you need it because mm, people are sometimes reluctant or they're like I'm not really sure I don't know why I don't know why it is that people feel reluctant to ask but you think about it and you're like this is you know looking at I, I would consider looking after my kids is way more important than what I you know would be doing or way more high risk than what I'm doing in my nine to five job so yeah um, yeah asking those like detailed questions is really important yeah. And I think also, I don't know what your experience was like, but for me, my gut really and my first impressions made a big difference by walking into a place and you're thinking, yeah, you can tell the carers are pre-COVID days more hugging their kids and co- providing that comfort and emotional support. Uh, and even my son goes somewhere where they've got like a chef. And so my husband and I joke that he's got way better food at childcare than what he does sometimes at home. So little things as well of they've got menus. Yeah. And, um, uh, we also have an app that we get updates on, which I thought was pretty standard, but then talking with friends, their childcare centers don't have that. But even yeah. I've heard with family daycare, the carers have then been sending photos um, home. So little yeah, elements like that, I think also then make a big, big impact. Yeah, and I guess that kind of, firstly, what's going to make your life easier? Like definitely yeah. with the chefs and, you know, some provide nappies and some don't and like, you know, all coming into the, the cost of what you're paying for as well. Um, but just going back to your point about the gut feeling, I think that that is such a huge thing and just also kind of keeping check of it. Like it can mm. change. You might like walk in one day and be like, this is amazing and then, I don't know, later on in the piece being like, I feel like something's not quite right. And that was certainly my experience with my daughter. And I just think that kind of following your gut and calling it out as a parent is, is just really crucial because you, wherever you choose to leave your kids, you really need to be walking away and just have 100% trust. You don't want to be second guessing and thinking maybe something's not right because you know, you'll be super stressed about it. And um, I think that's kind of when people start to think whether they're making the right decision about going back to work and things like that. So that, that gut instinct and that the trust is, um, is so crucial no matter what, what kind of care option you choose. Yeah, I agree. And I think also it helps with the mum guilt that if you know that your child is being cared for, they've transitioned quite well, they're okay, they're not screaming every time you leave them, it mm-hmm. actually helps, I think, you as well emotionally returning back to work knowing that yep my son or daughter is is happy in the arrangements that you've also put in place for them yeah definitely 100%. so just on that transition how can we manage it because generally with kids they've been with you for 6 12 months uh, while you've been on uh, generally on leave you've been their center of their world for that time and then putting them into this new arrangement with either someone coming into your house or going to a new place it's foreign there is a transition period and i know from personal experience with my own son it took 6 to pray 8 weeks to really feel comfortable it wasn't necessarily an easy process what's been your experience and what are some tips and tools that parents can use to help with that transition yeah I guess it's you know it's two levels isn't it it's this transition for the children and then there's this transition period for us as yes <laughs> as well so um yeah there's definitely you know two elements to it I think for kids you know, there's really two trains of thought. Some people kind of, uh, 
you know, they have a really, I'm really, I mean, I said I my personal life was chaotic. Routine for me as a parent, I've never, like I dream of being a parent that has a really good routine, but I just fail completely when it comes to that. So I think if you've got a really good routine and you're able to transition that into the new care or the new daycare, then honestly, I applaud you. That's amazing. And I wish that I was able to manage that. But I think also there's this kind of thing that kids are really able to adapt. So um, my daughter, her daycare centre, they're really big on routine. They have like a drop, she's only two, but they have, it's almost like school, like a drop off time and they have activities at a certain time. And, um, you know, you can't pick them up until a certain time. And she somehow manages both, like in, you know, at her daycare day, she manages that routine and that home. She manages the um, lackluster the routine that I provide for her. <laughs> so, Organised um, chaos, that's what I say. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so there's this kind of, you know, maybe you can transition them with their routine or maybe they're going to be able to adapt and have two routines. Either it's probably fine. I think separation anxiety and kind of that transition pace for kids can be really hard. It was certainly really hard um, for both my kids. I dr- dropped... Um, so we use combination of care. We use daycare and um, sitter. So, but I dropped my kids off at daycare this morning, and my son, who is ten months, they, you know, it's been so hard after COVID as well. Like we've just gone back in the last two weeks, when they're like prying them from your arms and screaming. And my daughter was the same when she first started. Um, and so I, I actually looked into a, a lot about separation anxiety and, and how to manage it. And I, I did come across a really good little video from Parent TV. So they're like an educational resource for parents. And there are a few things there that I was like, okay, I, they're little tips. So I'll, I'll give you those because they're the ones that I really learned things from. So the first thing was around when you drop them off, make sure that they're connecting with a person and not a toy. So I don't know, I was kind of walking and being like, you know, jiggling some toy around and being like, look at this amazing thing and kind of putting them on the mat and potentially walking out the door. Um, apparently that's not the best thing to do. So like, <laughs> the drop and run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So giving them to a, par- a, a carer instead or like I guess the babysitter comes over making sure they're in the arms of the, the babysitter. Acknowledging that they're upset and sad as opposed to like pretending it isn't happening. So, you know, I, I mean, I did the classic thing where I'd be like, especially my daughter might be like crying her eyes out and I'd be, you know, oh, you're going to have so much fun today. Look, here's your teacher. Look at all your friends. And, you know, pretending that she's not screaming her head off and like tears coming down her eyes. And because, you know, they say they, you know, can tell if you're upset. So yeah, you know, if you're feeling that anxiety, it'll go <laughs> onto the child. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But again, acknowledging that they're um, sad is apparently the better thing to do. Letting them know that they can stick with the teacher. I guess it depends how old they are, whether or not they're actually really able to comprehend that. And then the other one that I was probably not that good at is once you've left, um, don't come back or don't let them like see you again so I guess I would often like drop them and then leave the room but then maybe just like peek my head around a little bit to see if they'd stop crying and then often they would see me again and and just make matters worse so in terms of like separation anxiety and that transition those kind of tips really helped me so that they're not from me that's from a, um, a child psychologist we did a little we did a post about it on our socials a little while ago so it had those kind of four main tips 
on it, which I thought were really, were really helpful and kind of things that were new. And when I reflected on myself a little bit, thought, okay, maybe there's a better way. There's always, yeah. <laughs> and that first time's always the hardest. It's, mm. uh, yeah, it's you're like, do you leave? Do you not? And then you're hearing your child cry and you're like, oh, uh, and the childcare workers are saying, just leave, just go. Yeah. It's actually going to make it easier. I but in know. your own heart, you're going, but I feel bad. And, but you know, yes. two minutes after you leave, they'll be okay. It's, it's such a tough, and it's, it's so unnatural, isn't it? Because you think, when you when your baby cries, like I think the natural instinct is to go and comfort your your baby, but you're also like, okay, I've got a meeting in like 20 minutes and I need to get to, so I can't I can't hang around here. It's just not going to work. But I think it's that also, you know, you have to leave, but then it's that tr- like that underlying trust. You need to trust, really trust whoever you're leaving them with, and then not being afraid to call. Like I occasionally. I, maybe more than occasionally I'll be that crazy parent that kind of calls up at 9 30 and being like you know when I left this morning they were really upset how are they now managing or that you know the really good carers will um or daycare centers will be calling you or texting you and hopefully early like half an hour after you leave sometimes people will message me and be like take the happy snap and they've settled down but yeah really not being afraid I think like that trusting ourselves, trusting our gut, if you're feeling unsure, being able to call as many times as you like to make sure that things are okay. And if you if you just if you don't feel right, just I like just go and pick them up. Like go and get them if that's like what's gonna suit you best on any day. I think sometimes we put this kind of pressure on ourselves that we have to do one thing or the other or it's right or wrong. But I think really we've just sometimes got to trust our instincts and even if it's not the most convenient thing like be able to go actually today this is just best for both of us if we kind of break the rules or if we do something that's out of routine if that's going to work for you today I don't know I I think sometimes we feel like we have to do one thing or we'll be a bad bad parent if we you know break the rules but in the end I think you just have to do whatever you feel comfortable with and hopefully most days that trust element and open communication will get you through and you both of you will get in a good routine and you know, eventually now now my daughter's like she's walking through the gate she's not even looking back at me sometimes yeah like, <laughs> I'm like ducking down this morning being like give me a kiss like bye sweetheart and yeah. she's you know halfway in the classroom already I know my son was the same recently because we now have to drop them off at the door uh with the COVID regulations mm-hmm. and uh the central manager with the other day was walking him down and he, she's like, do you want to say goodbye to mom? And he's like, nah, I know exactly where I'm going. I know my room. See you later. I'm yeah, off. I was I like, know. and both of my husband and I will come home going, oh, what about us? Yeah, totally. My daughter the other day went to the door and started like calling out um, her favorite babysitter's name. Like she was like, when's she going to come and play again? And I was like, no, it's mummy's day today. Like I'm, I'm here to play today. And you think I'm like, a, a bit of me is a little bit sad, but then secretly I'm actually like, this is awesome. Like this is way better yeah. than being stressed about leaving them with someone or, you know, you want them to, you kind of want them to want someone else as well as you, that they kind of yeah. see them as their friend, that they want to play with them. Um, it's actually really awesome as, as much as a little bit like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <you want> me? Because <laughs> I think like transitioning 
Yeah, as you said, it's not just about the child. And I think as well, it's much as the mother and the parents' mindset of, oh no, am I doing the right thing? Is it going to be the best place for my child? Are they learning? Are they getting something out of it? Mm-hmm. What are they teaching and learning? But I know that seeing the development with my son at childcare has really helped my mum guilt because mm-hmm. I know that he's learned and grown in so many ways that I wouldn't have been able to do that for him at home. So for me, yeah. that actually helps give that mindset and, and as you said earlier about that overcoming the guilt, because you're like, well, no, actually he's doing pretty well. Um, and I know that also gives me confidence in the place that I've got him is actually good. Um, I actually had a friend of mine where she was doing the induction week and she just didn't get a good vibe from the place. She said uh-huh. the food looked average. They weren't that comforting with the kids. So she said, nah. And then she actually ended up then going to where I get now go. Luckily there was a free uh-huh. space. Yeah. Uh, but it was really interesting. It is about trusting that gut. And if it's not right, do something about it. Yeah, definitely. And you're not, you know, you're not stuck in one option. There are so many mm. options. And I think people think that they sometimes make a decision and then that has to be the decision. But the reality is, um, so for our daughter, when we first put her in daycare, she was there for I think nearly eight weeks and it ended up being this disastrous experience. But and then we pulled her out and we had her with a, a nanny for a couple of months until we were able to get her into an alternate daycare centre again. And and now we use a combination of both. And, you know, you just kind of, you, you're able to change as your needs change and definitely following your instincts. And just because you make a decision, one decision, it doesn't mean that that's the decision that you have to stick with or that's the care option that you have to stick with forever. Things change all the time. So um, yeah. lots, lots available. And work situations change and it's really good that now that there is that open-mindedness to flexibility uh, around care options yeah. and the like. So I know there's different subsidies as well available for the different care options. Are you able to give some insights into those childcare subsidies? Like are you able to get childcare subsidies, for example, with babysitting or nannying? Yeah, so for the Australian um, government subsidies, so the child care subsidies, obviously the big one, things have obviously changed at the moment with COVID-19. It's this kind of, you know, free childcare for all. And I don't know, like my daycare centre, that doesn't seem to be working like our, the number of places in my daughter's room is now at 50%. So it's Yeah, like, my son's like, the same. Yeah, so you're now like competing. Like I had to write this email to be like, I'm employed, I'm you know earning money and I don't have any other options, but we took you know, the last spot and I was like, oh, if someone else comes in that, you know, works more hours or they work in like healthcare, we probably won't have a spot anymore. So, yeah, the, the recent changes with this, the child, free childcare and it's it's all a bit crazy at the moment. Mm, 100% agree. Um, yeah, but anyway, so I won't really kind of go into that, but I guess normally in non-COVID life, <laughs> you've got the um, the Australian Services so the Australian government website, Australian services is like the place to go. You could, you know, Google childcare subsidy and that's got all the information there. But basically it kind of covers three things. So it's the normal childcare subsidy that you get and it's capped to a certain amount. Um, and really it's a scale depending on how much your family earns. Um, there is a limited um, in-home care subsidy, but you have to be able to, so things for babysitters and nannies. Um, in your home 
they, like the babysitters and nannies in your home still have to meet kind of the same requirements, which from what we find in terms of um, people working on, on our platform and in our community, most of them have like the same qualifications anyway. So it's not um, that difficult to find those people, but they need like certain criteria and you as a parent need to be meeting some really specific criteria. criteria. So one of the big things is around unusual, like you need to have unusual hours. So be able to prove that a normal regulated daycare centre wouldn't match your needs, or maybe you live kind of in a remote or regional area that you can't access um, regulated daycare. So for normal, like, you know, if, if I'm using an, an nanny or a babysitter in combination with daycare, which is probably why I use the combination, I don't have a subsidy that I can access. And then there is additional, like an additional subsidy that if you're kind of in financial stress or some grandparent um, can access it, but there's like really some very specific criteria, again, that you need to be able to meet to access that kind of additional subsidy support. So, um, yeah, the Australian Services website is really the best place to kind of work out what you're able to access. Um, but most of the subsidies in Australia are definitely for regulated daycare centres, which, you know, I think is a little bit sad. I think in my ideal world, I would have had my kids with a, a babysitter or a nanny until they were one. But in terms of affordability, it just wasn't really an option. But anyway, who knows, things might change in the future, especially with you know, all the stuff happening with, with COVID. And that was a really... Um, Tough decision for us, especially to send my son back when he's, mm. he felt so little. But it does, like, you know, with these care decisions, affordability is always such a, a huge um, piece of the puzzle that you need to consider as well. Yeah, no, it certainly is. And I've also heard of people using uh, au pairs because it actually meets their family um, aspects. And there are some kids that aren't suited to care. They may have... Yeah special needs and so they need actually that extra home help um, and being in a large full-on environment isn't suitable for them and I guess that's also where the advantage of nannies and and babysitters really then come into play. Yeah definitely yeah it's funny isn't it every the the subsidy structure is very specific and I guess it caters to you know the most but yeah I guess that kind of uh, having some some different options and just thinking about what's what's best for your family. One of the things that we um, try and do is connect families as well. So if there's like two little babies that that are able to share care together, sometimes it can make it just that little bit more affordable for families. So yeah, but anyway, back to the original question. I guess they're the kind of yeah, main main financial support that we've got available to us. Yeah, fantastic, very good. And is there anything else you'd like to add? in relation to care options for children? Uh, look, I think, and I've probably said it, I think the biggest thing is no option is necessarily the right option and no option is necessarily the best option and every family is different and just because it works for one family, it doesn't mean that it's going to work for you or it's it's not necessarily going to work for your child or your children um so really just like backing our own parenting instincts and you know getting enough support around us for what's best for our family um at any given moment so as i said it changes all the time um and not feeling like you have to do it one way 
like really I think people and that trust element need to be really empowered that the choice is theirs yeah. and that they don't have to do one thing or the other and they, yeah, that it's really, it's your choice and you have to be 100% comfortable with whatever care option you've got for your kids, even if it's, um, you know, and if it is multiple care options, being really comfortable with all of those options. Yeah, it's really, I guess, staying in your lane. You can look to other people and what they're doing suits them but may not necessarily suit yourself. So it's really, as you said, staying in your lane. Yeah, you can always look away but yeah, knowing and trusting your gut and every family, every mum has a different journey and for that reason their care options are going to be very different. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same just with parenting, isn't it? Like, you know, you think... I don't, I don't know. I've had, I've got two very different children. So my first child is like the opposite to a textbook baby. And because she was my first, I, you know, I was very studious and I like read books and I thought, you know, that these were the rules and it was a disaster. Like I should have just like thrown all the books out the window. And then, and I thought it was like, I was doing the wrong thing. And then my second baby came around and I was like, oh my goodness, he is a textbook baby. This, this yeah. would have worked perfectly <laughs> for him. And but if you compare yourself to what other people are doing, instead of just like looking at the situation you're in and trying to do the best thing, you know, in in that kind of tunnel vision of you and your baby, um, like that, I guess that just applies to all parenting, not not only not only only care options, but you, it it can be very distracting and it can be easy to look at what other people are doing and being and thinking I have to do that because that's what everyone's doing or that's what she's doing or they're doing and look at them they're doing it so well yeah and then your stress levels rise and you're like oh they're doing all these things and I'm not and mum guilt and oh then it all gets out of control (laughs) trying to avoid that situation exactly exactly yeah and so Carmen what do you do to fill your cup oh I had to really you know think about you know what do I do for self-care what do I do for self-care I must admit I'm not doing this very well at the moment I feel like I probably have one too many kind of balls in the air at the moment that I'm trying to juggle if I'm if I'm really honest but I do do two kind of little things that get me through the day and the first one is have my husband make me a cup of coffee in the morning (laughs) one of my Neither of my babies sleep through the night still. So that cup of coffee for me in the morning where I can just, you know, focus on having my coffee and not really trying to do 10 things at once. I literally sit down and have my coffee. Like kids are around me, but I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make lunch or make breakfast or do other things at the same time. And the other thing I probably do in terms of self-care, as I said, I feel like I'm not doing this that well, but before I um, go to bed at night, I always have like 15, 20 minutes of just switching off and either, you know, watching something on Netflix. I've just watched, I'm watching Working Mums 4 that's come out on Netflix. I that's think that's such recent. such a good series, yeah. Oh, amazing. And they're only 20-minute episodes. So I've found like just before, like if I finish work late at night, I just like switch my brain off. I just like watch a short one of those or if I can concentrate enough, maybe I'll read a book or something. But I always do something that's just kind of me to switch my brain off before I go to bed at night. Oh, very good. Well, you're still, you're still doing something to help yourself. Yeah, I know. It's one of those, it's kind of on the to-do list, isn't it? I must, must, must do self-care better. <laughs> I think it's one of those things as a mum, we always think about the kids and then the family and it's, oh, that's right. We've got to look after ourselves occasionally. Yeah, it's tricky. It's really tricky. Yeah. And so 
what's coming up for Sick Click and uh, where can we find out more about you? Yeah, so um, you can find out about us. At, so we've got our website, so www.sickclick.com and we're on Instagram and Facebook. So we've, I think like since kind of COVID's happened, we've changed our business model slightly and we've really um, got some feedback that we're feeling really good that we've found our market fit and we're kind of all about this more personalised experience. So kind of more like eHarmony for matching parents and babysitters as opposed to just like making the booking process more simple. So we're kind of putting all our energy in that at the moment and the, the feedback from parents so far has been really good. So it's really exciting time for us, I think. That's fantastic. Yeah, but anyway, people can find us on the website, on our socials, or um, they can email me or give me a call directly. Always happy to have a chat too. So you're in Sydney and Brisbane and just about to expand to Melbourne? Yeah, so we've got some sitters already lined up in Melbourne. One of our co-founders, co-founders so one of my sisters, is has just moved from Sydney to Melbourne. So she's kind of trialling a few people down there herself. And then the way that our, our business model works is we recruit internally from the people that we've already screened. But if there's people not available, then we recruit externally anyway to find matches for people. So we can kind of pick it up anywhere um, using the same kind of methodology. But our biggest networks are Brisbane, Sydney, Port Macquarie, because that's where one of my other sisters is. And we're just launching in Melbourne. Oh, fantastic. Well, best of luck for the Melbourne lot. So I know there's a lot of Melbourne mamas on this uh, podcast. So definitely um, give it, Give a shout out um, to SickClick and if you're needing assistance, uh, definitely helping the small business um, grow in this way to actually shape the care for your children that you have. Um, and as you're saying, Carmen, it's not a one size fits all and, and having multiple care options uh, is certainly important. So amazing chat. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, you. I know that I've learnt a lot around childcare and care options and really thinking about it holistically and it's not a one size fits all and multiple is best. So thank you so much and best of luck in moving into Melbourne. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast catch up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au. I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.